again, good morning. Thank y'all for being here. We are going to continue our series this morning um, that's called Christmas Interruptions. And, and what we're doing with Christmas Interruptions is we're diving into the Christmas story. We're, we're looking at, um, at how it all unfolded, but we're looking at it according to individual stories of, of individuals within the Christmas story and how the birth of Jesus came as an interruption. Uh, and, and I say interruption, and it's not necessarily a bad interruption. Uh, as, as we know, interruptions are just a part of our lives. Uh, whether it's a big interruption or a small interruption, um, we've, had, um, we've had all kinds throughout our lives. Um, the, I think of interruptions, I, I think of um, several months ago, my wife and I and the kids, we were traveling up to Albuquerque. And... Um, I don't remember why we were going now. I don't remember what that trip was for. But anyway, oh, it, it was a family event. That's right. We were up there to see Gerilyn's family. And we're traveling up to Albuquerque and we're driving down I-40. And um, we've done the trip a thousand times. And that's when an interruption happened. And a deer somehow decided to run into the side of our car. And uh, you can actually, if you would like to, you can still witness the dent on the side of the vehicle out here. And uh, it caused major interruptions in our trip. Um, We were supposed to get to town and get settled in, go grab dinner with some of the family. And instead, we sat on the side of the shoulder on I-40 for about an hour and a half waiting for a sheriff's deputy. And when, when you call 911 and say, hey, I've been hit by a deer no, I didn't hit the deer. The deer hit me. What do you mean? Well, it ran into the side. Anyway, just come. I need a police report. Um, they're not in a huge rush. And so we sat there, and we sat there, and we sat there. And, of course, me being a law-abiding citizen, I'm like, well, I can't leave the scene of the accident. So I stayed on the side of the highway, which is terrifying because it's 9 o'clock at night, sun, you know, everything's completely pitch black dark. Finally, the, the sheriff's deputy shows up. He explains that uh, the deer was found behind us um, in, in several pieces, and uh, which was traumatizing to my children. And um, and so we 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 get done, and you know the cop is um, he, he was funny. Uh, I don't. I laughed. My wife didn't. Um, and so he he gives us the information on how to get a police report. And we drive up over the hill that we're sitting on, and about a quarter mile in front of us is a rest stop. It's like, cool. Instead of sitting on the side of the road, we could have went to the rest stop. And this interruption could have been a lot less stressful. But that's what interruptions do. They, they, they add just a little bit of flair to our lives. They add just a little bit of extra story to our lives. And when people ask, what happened to your car? Who hit you? I, I don't know what his name was, but it was a deer, and it was the last thing he did on this earth. And so it's, it's a part of our lives. It, it really, and, and everything that we do and everything that we see, every day that we experience, we have interruptions. They could be minor, they could be major, but interruptions happen. And so when we look at the Christmas story, there, there's no wonder that the same thing happened within this story. And so week one, we discussed the wise men. We discussed that, that the interruption that for, for their whole lives they had planned and they had, they had sought out this star and they, they knew the Messiah was coming. And 
they finally got to live out their, their ultimate dream, to go and see the Messiah and fulfill this prophecy that they had all known about. And then the interruption came when, when they were going to go back to Herod and tell Herod where, where the, the Messiah was. And God came to them in a dream and interrupted their story. He sent them on a different path, which sent Mary and Joseph on a separate path. And Jesus was able to continue on. That interruption led to the next one, which is Zechariah. And Zechariah, or I'm sorry, excuse me, we go back in the story to Zechariah. And and the story of Zechariah is that he would be the father of John the Baptist. And the the importance of John the Baptist was that he was the one that was going to come and prepare the people for the Messiah. He, he was the prophet that was going to come and preach who Jesus was. And, and so when Zacharias presented with this evidence and presented with this, this story from, from the angel and tells them, you know, you are going to be the father to the man who will tell people about the Messiah, he doubted. And in that doubt, God shut his mouth, which caused major interruptions for Zacharias. He, as he leaves the Holy of Holies and he's not able to speak and he's not able to communicate and Nobody knows what happened, but because of his doubt, he was, he was mute, and he could not speak until the child was born. And then, of course, he would go on to tell about all the wonderful things that would happen because of God's faithfulness in his life. And we looked at, though, even though that Zechariah doubted, God still moved through his, through his life and through his faith. And just because there was a minor bit of doubt doesn't mean that God's going to stop working. And so this week, we're going to take a step closer to the Christmas story. We're going to take one step closer and look at the life of Joseph. And we're going to look at the story of Joseph, the, the earthly father of Jesus, and how his story is majorly interrupted. How his story has a screeching halt of an interruption. But even through that, God was still glorified. So today, open up with me. We're going to be in chapter 1 of Matthew, and starting in... Verse 18, excuse me, I'm sorry. Starting in verse 18, and again, if you don't have your, your Bibles with you, not a problem. We'll have the scripture up here on the screen as well. But it, cont- it tells us this story, and this, is, this comes after the genealogy of Christ. And if you would like to go back and read that, you're more than welcome to. But um, I, I'm not going to do that for us this morning. But it, it points to the exact genealogy from from David to Jesus. And that all comes through the fact that, that Joseph was his earthly father, who was a direct descendant of David. And so now we have the prophecy fulfilled that, that the Messiah would come through the lineage of David. And here it is. And so if you'd like to go back and read that this week, you are more than welcome to do so. It's uh, lots of names. Most of them are hard to pronounce. And um, that's part of the reason we're not going to read it this morning. Is I don't want to embarrass myself. Anyway, moving forward... Chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 18, tells us this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, they came together. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So this is the major interruption. This is the major interruption in Joseph's story. He, He... as, as tradition held, as, as customs held, as uh, social law within the time held, that uh, there was three steps of the process. You had the engagement, which most of the time was done through the, the parents 
courting them together, the, the parents coming together in a contractual agreement and saying these two shall become one. They, they will be married to each other. This will be the couple. Um, kind of like we sometimes try to do with our children. Hey, what about her? You know, I, I've heard that before. And so, but in this time, it was, that was how life was. They, they would connect this way. They would say, hey, this is who you're going to marry. And they just had to be okay with it. We, we don't know if that's the exact case in this story. But if we're looking at customs of the time, if we're looking at the social norms of the time, that is probably the case. And then we continue on through, you have the engagement which could last many, many years depending on how old they are or what the situation is or, or what the requirements of this engagement are. There was so much that played a part in it. And then you would have the, um, the, the they would be betrothed to each other. They would be connected to each other in the next step. And um, it was like an engagement, but it was just a little bit more than an engagement. It, it was, they were considered husband and wife, but they just hadn't completed the action of the actual marriage. So they were, they were together. They were, they were man and wife as, as far as what they would be addressed as. But they weren't technically married just yet. And so when we, when we hear that, that she was betrothed to Joseph and that, that she was almost married but not quite married. And now here we are and she's pregnant. So again, according to social norms, this, this could have been a very bad situation. There were so many options that Joseph had in this time that could have been very bad. Adam Clark explains it this way. He says her situation was the most distressing and humiliating that can be conceived. Nothing but the fullest consciousness of her own integrity and the strongest confidence in God could have supported her in such trying circumstances where her reputation, her honor, and her life were at stake. This was the reality of the time was that, that Joseph could have said, you were unfaithful, you did not remain faithful to the commitment you had to me. And he literally could have had her put to death. That, that, was, the, that was the law at the time, that was the truth of the time, that is what he could have done. He could have said, I don't believe you. And again, we don't know what all he, she's explained to him in this. We, we assume that, that maybe she told him, it's from the Holy Spirit. Maybe she told him, I, just trust me. You know, we don't know what her exact words to Joseph at the time were. But, but then we're, we're kind of filled in with a little bit more information here in verse 19 where it tells us, and her husband Joseph being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, Resolved to divorce her quietly. The only way this engagement could be cut off was through divorce. Like I said, I mean, it was, it was as much of a marriage as it could have been at that point, minus the physical connection. The only way to get out of this was divorce. And I love the, I love the way Matthew phrases this, being just a man. I look at this verse and I think about all the times that we've set together in men's group or we've set together in Bible studies or we've set in small groups or whatever it is. And we talk about what it means to be just a man. And I think about what it would mean to me in this situation if, if all of a sudden I'm being told by this woman who is engaged to me that, hey, 
This is the situation. How do I, as just a man, respond? But what tells us the, the, the heart of Joseph, what really explains to us the heart of Joseph is the second half of that statement. Being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame. Not only was he just a man, but he knew the weight of this situation. He knew, he knew what his abilities were in this time. He, he knew what he could do during this time. He knew that all he had to do was say the word and she could be publicly executed. But something within him, and and again, we don't know what the conversation was, but we know that being unwilling to put her to shame, that he would just do it quietly. This would be just a private ceremony. We would step away and only those who needed to know would know and we would move forward from there. I can't imagine the mindset of this time. Uh, again, I, as, we, as we look at what it means, and as I think about what it means to, to be just a man, of the times that I've had my feelings hurt by much less, let alone my, my fiancé coming to me and saying, hey, I'm pregnant, and it's not yours, but I need you to trust me. I, I, can't, I can't imagine how I would react in this situation. I can't imagine how most of us would react in this situation, being just men. But again, he resolves it quietly, or decides to resolve it quietly. And the story continues. Verse 20 tells us this, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her, it is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save the people from their sins. Now again, we can, we can assume one of two things. Either Mary hadn't exactly told him what was going on or she did and there was still doubt. But as the angel comes in and tells him, I, I, this is from the Lord. I promise you this is from the Lord. Do not be afraid to take her as your wife, because he will go on to be named Jesus and to be the Messiah. Again, he could have known this information, but still doubted. He could have known this, this situation and still have been worried, still have been frustrated, still have been whatever he felt. But the angel of the Lord assured him, this is from the Lord. I, I promise you this is a good thing. The Holy Spirit came upon her, and this is what will happen. Continues on, verse 22. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He takes it back to verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The angel comes back and quotes directly from Isaiah seven fourteen. This is what God said was going to happen through the prophet Isaiah many, many years ago. If you're going to trust in the Lord, if you're going to carry this, this spirit of trust with you, Joseph, understand that God is fulfilling this prophecy through your wife. The virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, this comes directly from Isaiah 7, 14. It tells us that the, the Messiah would come from this birth. So it continues on, and when Joseph awoke from his sleep, 
He did just as the angel of the Lord commanded of him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. In this, in this time of worry, in this time of doubt, in this time of, I would assume, frustration, Joseph did exactly what he was called to do. His life was brought to a screeching halt, a huge interruption. This, this woman that he, again, we don't know the exact context of the story, but, but we can assume that he had been engaged to her for, for many years, and now they were, had taken this courtship to an actual engagement, and, and they're moving forward, and this is his wife, and here's the information we receive. Again, I can assume that there was frustration, there was hurt, there was pain. But Joseph, being just a man, was, was still just going to let it go. Let it go quietly, move forward with our lives to not bring her shame. And this is when the Lord steps in and goes, Joseph, just trust me. Joseph, just take a step back, take a moment, listen to what I'm saying. I promised this years ahead that this is what would happen. I'm going to fulfill it through your wife, and you shall raise this man to be the Messiah. And here's the thing that we know about Joseph after this, is that we see him a few more times throughout Scripture. You know, we know that after this, after the birth, they exodus to Egypt to stay away from Herod and to raise Jesus until they were out of that window and Herod died and was no longer a threat to Jesus' life. And they move back, and then we have the experience at the temple several chapters later where they, they take Jesus to the temple, and, and he runs, or he doesn't run away, but he stays at the temple, and they have to go back and find him. And parents, that should be encouraging to us that even the Messiah's parents lost him for a few minutes. But this is all we know of Joseph. We, we don't see him much more after that. We, we hear him referenced one more time later in Scripture, but that's it. His whole story plays out in just a few simple verses here, a few simple verses later on, and then Joseph disappears. So again, we can, we can make assumptions, we can make um, conclusions, we can assume that Joseph probably passed away sometime before Jesus' ministry. Because by the time Jesus' ministry starts and they come together for the wedding at Judah and, and Jesus is there with his mother, there's no mention of Joseph. There's no mention of Joseph when, when, he comes, when Jesus comes back and is crucified and there's Mary. He's just gone. So for him to play such a vital, a vital part in this story, but it's only happen over about 20 verses within this, this enormous amount of Scripture... But it's so important for us to look at this context and to look at his story and to understand what it truly means for him to be who he was in this moment. And there's a few things that we can pull from this story and, and, and to look at his life and, and see exactly what this story tells us. And so again, as we look at, the, at these few verses, we can conclude this about Joseph's story. The, the story of Joseph, Joseph shows us three things. The first one being this. It shows us what a pure heart looks like. Joseph's story shows us exactly what a pure heart through God looks like. Because a pure heart doesn't not want to put this woman to shame. 
A pure heart doesn't, doesn't go through with every possible retaliation that it can. What a pure heart that only God can produce does is look at this woman and go, I am not going to put her to shame. Whether it was a mistake, whether it was a choice, whether it was whatever it was, I am going to choose to not put her to shame. Just a few chapters later, once Jesus starts his ministry in chapter 5 of Matthew, we, we find Jesus going through the Sermon on the Mount. And, of course, it's, it's a collection of several different lessons that Jesus teaches. And it starts with the Beatitudes. And within the Beatitudes, Jesus tells us this in Matthew 5, 8. He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. And that's who Joseph was. And again, we don't, we don't know much more about his life or about his actions, about how his interactions with Jesus were, about how their relationship was. We just don't know much of that. But we can look at this story specifically and we can look at this time and see exactly how he responds and go, that was a man who was pure of heart. That was a man who loved the Lord and understood what it meant to love the Lord. And his heart was shown through this. Charles Spurgeon tells us this. He says, when we have to do a severe thing, let us, do, let us choose the tenderest manner. Maybe we shall not have to do it at all. There were so many choices that he could have made in this moment, but instead he decided to not put her to shame. He decided to do it quietly and, and let it be what it was. Joseph shows us what a pure heart looks like. Because again, I, I, I don't know what I would have done in this situation. I don't know what most of us would have done in this situation. Through the hurt, through the pain, through the frustration, through the shame that he felt. But being pure of heart through God, he was able to maintain. The next thing that the story of Joseph shows us is that God can move through our worry. He can move through our worry. He can move through our doubt. He can move through our frustrations. We see it time and time again through Scripture. We can look back at the story of Elijah and as he's, as he's running for his life and he's, as he's hiding and, and he's just so tired and he tells God, he said, I just, just take my life. I'm so sick of running. I'm so sick of all of this. And God tells him, just take a nap, rest, have something to eat. And then he continued to work through the life of Elijah. We can see it through the life of, of Peter as, as, as later on in, in the Gospels, he, he becomes angry and he lashes out at a guard that's arresting Jesus. And through his anger and through his frustration, through, through Peter's life, he then went on to, to fulfill the promise of the church and to begin the church that we know it is as it is today. Through our doubt, through our worry, through our frustrations, God can still move. Because the thing about God moving in our lives is that it's not about us. Our salvation is not about us. Our, our, our purpose is not about us. It's about the Father. It's about Him fulfilling His desires through our lives. 
It's about Him fulfilling His purpose through our lives. At no point, I'm sure, did Joseph wake up and go, you know what, I would love to raise a kid that's not mine. Even though people doubt, even though people don't believe, even though all of this, that's what I want to do. There is no way that's what Joseph ever thought. But even then, God bestowed this upon him, and he fulfilled it. God can move through our doubt. He can move through our worry. He can move through whatever we're feeling. Whatever we're going through, whatever frustrations we have, whatever worries we have, God still is going to move. It might be in a huge way. It might be in a simple way. It might be like the story we observed last week by shutting our mouths. By in order, in order to fulfill what he would like to do, he completely removes our ability to stop it. God is going to fulfill his purpose through our lives. God has already fulfilled many purposes through our lives. It might be small, it might be big, it might be whatever. But what Joseph's story shows us is that God can move through worry. It's okay to feel worry. It's okay to feel frustration. It's okay to to feel human emotion. It's when we react in a way that, that is not the way God wants us to react that becomes an issue. God can move through our worry. The last thing Joseph's story shows us is unshakable faith. A faith that's so unshakable that it can experience what Joseph has experienced here. This 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 wife of his that he is engaged to that, that is to become his his wife and to bear his children and, and now here he is and God's telling him, just trust me. Just trust me. Take your wife and go on and continue to do what you were called to do. And leave the rest up to me. That is a faith that is unshakable. The fact that Joseph said, okay, okay. He took his wife and they went on to Bethlehem to once again fulfill the prophecy that was written so many years before. Not only would would the Messiah rise up from the lineage of David, but he would do so from Bethlehem. And the only way that Mary was going to get to Bethlehem was because of Joseph. The only way that she was going to be in that situation is if Joseph stood by her side and continued on with her. And that's exactly what happened. Thousands of years of prophecy and of scripture being fulfilled because of Joseph's unshakable faith. Because he could have given up, he could have continued on with the divorce and just said, you know what, God, it's, it's too much for me. This is, I, I don't understand, I, I don't, I, I just, I can't do it. But it tells us when Joseph woke up from the sleep, he did exactly as the angel had commanded him. He took her and they went on and he did not know her until the son was born. And then they called him Jesus. He did exactly what he was called to do in this moment. Again, I, I, don't, I don't know how I would have reacted in this situation. I don't know how a lot of us would have reacted in this situation. 
you know, for, for this time when it was so common to, to have a, an unfaithful partner and, and that unfaithfulness turns into their death or, or their exclusion from the culture or to be completely kicked out of the family or whatever it was. Like I said, Joseph had so many options on how he could have handled this, but he chose to follow the Lord. He chose to, to fulfill exactly what God had called for his life to be. And now here we are, we get to see this story unfold and continue on as Jesus is born and as he is raised up to be the man that would go on to lead a ministry that would then go on to die on a cross for us. All because Joseph, through his worry, through his doubt, through his frustrations, had unshakable faith. He continued on to do exactly what the Lord had called him to do. So today, there's a few things I want us to ask ourselves as we, as we move into, again, this, this week of Christmas and as we go into um, the, the end of the year and just continue on through life. There's a few things I want us to ask ourselves as we look at the story of Joseph in Matthew 1. There's a few things I want us to ask. The first one being this. Do we show love even through our worries? Because Joseph showed married love in this moment. In this moment, he could have done so many other things, but instead he chose love. Is that what we're doing when we get worried? Is that what we do when we get frustrated? When our feelings are hurt, when our, when our stress levels are raised, are we continuing to show love no matter what? The next one is this, and again, as, as, we, as we talk about it, and I'm, I know I harp on this a lot, and I'm going to harp on it a lot, because I know this is where God is leading us over the next several months. But when we look at our, when we look at our personal stories, when we look at, at, at what God has done in our lives, we need to ask ourselves this, how has God moved through our worry? When I go to tell my story, and, and, and people are saying, you know, well, I'm, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that. How has God moved through my worry? At what point can I, can I pinpoint and go, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about the time that I felt this and God still moved. Our testimonies matter. How has God moved through our worry? And lastly, this is a big question. Do I have unshakable faith like Joseph? When our worlds are flipped upside down, when, when everything seems like it's falling apart around us, do I have unshakable faith like Joseph? I'm sure, like, like most of you, the, the answer is, I hope. I think so. That, that's my goal. But what will it take for us to get to that point? What will it take for us to, to, to get to that point of no matter what we're going through, God, I, I know that you have my back. I know that you have me. I trust you. Do I have unshakable faith? So again, if you're, if you're here today, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I, I, I urge you to continue to take this story with you this week take these thoughts with you, to, to, to take Joseph's story and see how he reacted in times of frustration and worry and doubt. See how he applied it to his life and, and see if we can apply it to ours. 
If you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, I encourage you to do so. Because like I said, it, it comes through a, a wonderful lineage that comes down to, to his earthly father and his, his mother giving birth to him and him being raised in a loving home to get to the point where, where he could start his ministry and then be crucified on a cross to die for our sins after he lived a perfect life. There is no greater gift than the gift that we've received through the death of Jesus Christ and the free gift of salvation.